What do you think when I mention the word deacon? What, what comes to your mind? You know, when I think about deacons, I think about the men that I grew up watching and, and listening to as they came down the aisle during the offering, and they would pray over the offering. One of four men was asked to ask a blessing uh, before we were to give to the offering plate. And I could about rehearse and say it word for word which of the four were going to pray and how they would pray. I could say their prayer uh, verbatim along with them. And uh, that was kind of the, the routine. There was such a routine of, of deacon in the local church that I grew up in. But then, I mean, when they say that you would walk out into the parking lot and here they would pray these prayers and then they'd walk out in the parking lot and they'd you know, be smoking on the cigarette and on the side. I mean, that was true. That was true. I saw that with my very own eyes. And it's kind of confusing. Once sure. Not going to get into all that today, okay? But, um, but then I remember uh, when I graduated college, I worked at a um, local Christian bookstore. And my job was uh, to help people in, in the different sections, you know, whatever books they were looking for uh, before they stuck me in the back all by my lonesome and I had to ship books and send them off. But in the meantime... There were people who would come in and they uh, would say, hey, I'm a deacon at my local church and I'm looking for a deacon pen. And I'd be like, well, the deacon pen's right over here, sir or ma'am, whether you're a deacon or a deaconess, and I'd lead them to the way. And then they would go on to tell me what a special role being deacon held for them. And I thought, is a deacon someone who wears a pen and stands in an aisle and everybody looks at him and goes, okay, there's something maybe more spiritual about you, maybe something that you have attained or a certain level of spirituality that you have in your life that has qualified you for deacon. And so uh, we have all different types in our minds of what a deacon should be. And in Southern Baptist life, just and the reason I'm calling out Southern Baptist is because I think we've, we've learned this from ourselves, that deacons, in fact, in many ways have served in a role that's really not their role. Um, deacons were made to serve as elders in the church. And so you would have many churches in which they would have a lot of pastor turnover. And because of that, uh, the church said, okay, deacons, you kind of take over. We're going to stop all of this. So when a pastor leaves, we at least have some kind of order. I get that. You want order in the church. But what would happen is you'd have a pastor come in and he would have to deal with some rogue deacons who ran the church. And so when they would make a statement like, hey, you better be careful in the direction you're leading our church or the things you say because, hey, buddy, we're the ones who determine your paycheck. Kind of put a little pressure on the pastor. And even if you're serving in the role of elder, that's the wrong approach to take in any type of leadership. But when it comes to deacons, what is the um, right way to serve? What is the right mindset for us to have for a deacon? Should we have deacons in the local church? And I believe the answer is absolutely yes. I think we should. We should have deacons. I think it's a very biblical thing that we have deacons. Deacons isn't something that one denomination or another just made up and said, I think this would be a good thing to have. But what we have to make sure of is that we have a biblical approach to deacon. And today, we're, we're setting aside uh, this day, Deacon Sunday, just to acknowledge the men who serve as deacon in our local church. But I want to inform you um, of how they serve, but before we get there, I want us to look to Scripture, because without Scripture, we're clueless as to what we're supposed to do as the local church. And so, if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 6, 
And if you do not have a Bible, look in front of you. Uh, that pew Bible, you may grab that. You turn to Acts chapter 6 with us. And if you say, I don't know where Acts chapter 6 is, here's the good news. Someone came along and said, we're going to put page numbers in the Bible. And so on page 914, you can turn there, and you will be at Acts chapter 6 in the pew Bible. So to fill you in where we are, the church is expanding, it's growing, and and this could be around three to five years after Christ has gone to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And as the church is growing, um, so come some problems, some, some good problems that we're going to look at. But uh, understand that the church at this time, when we're looking at it in this passage and keeping it in a proper context, are made up of Jews. Okay? There aren't Gentiles in the mix, so we're not having the problem with Gentiles and Jews and all the backgrounds and customs and conflicts and all that. That hasn't come into the picture yet. That's coming, okay, and that's why God's going to change Saul to Paul, and he's going to use him as the frontier on that. But at this time, the church is primarily uh, mostly made up of Jews, but there are even different types of Jews with different types of backgrounds, and that's the conflict we're going to see here along with the number of people who have been added to the local church. So look with me, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So here's the first thing that we see in Acts chapter 6, um, the need. So if you're taking notes, you just want to write this down. There was a need that the local church had at this time. They were growing in number by the hundreds, rapidly Growing Now, this is a good problem. Sometimes you have problems arise in the local church, and they can be good problems. Nothing wrong with more being added to the church. I mean, you definitely want to see that. That's an encouraging thing. In fact, in today's church life, there are many methods going around of how you can gain more church members, um, how you can get more people uh, off the streets and into the local church, from staying at home on Sunday mornings to coming into the local church house to worship. So there are many different methods, but I believe the one that we should stick to and hold to with integrity and with delight and with great joy is the preaching of the gospel. And that's what was taking place. So the good problem is that living in the days there when disciples were increasing in number. So many, many disciples. And there are growing pains. Why are there growing pains? Look, when you preach the Word of God, when we hold to the text, when we say today we're coming together, we're opening up the Bible, open to Acts chapter 6, here we go, preaching of the Word, you're going to have growing pains. There are growing pains when you study the Bible. If you're growing, it's going to be painful as a follower of Christ. There are going to be different things that happen in your life. A work of sanctification is going on. Uh, things are being brought to the surface. Sin in your life, maybe sin that you didn't even know was there. And through spiritual maturity and the work of the Holy Spirit, it's brought to the surface. And God, by His grace, He just takes His hand and He skims it off. And more is brought to the surface and skims it off again. That's a painful process. Man, we don't like to know of what all is deep down within us. Man, it's painful when it is brought before us through the preaching of the Word of God. That's one way you have growing pains. But another way in which you have growing pains is when you have more in number. You have actually more people attending, more people gathering together. I mean, when you bring people together, there is more reason for conflict. And I love this. I wish I could just uh, nail this quote. I'm, I'm not going to get it uh, word for word, but... Uh, Lee mentioned this yesterday in our community group training. You know, when you, when you gather the church together, you're not gathering friends together. You're not gathering natural friends together. You're, you're gathering natural enemies together. 
That's, that's what's joining here. That's what's in this room today. We're not all naturally friends because here's what we know. We don't all hang out outside of here, do we? Okay, hey, what you doing today? What you doing? Okay, let's, let's all the 300 of us get together and hang out. All right. That doesn't happen. But we're actually natural enemies. We have different likes and dislikes. We, we come from different backgrounds and things. And when we gather together, we're gathering together with something in common is that we are all enemies of Christ at one time until through God's grace we were changed from an enemy to a friend, to a follower of Christ. And so gathering a group of people together, there can be many conflicts. And the conflict that we see at this time was that there were some who were being neglected. So within the problem, we see the need. The Hellenists complained to the Hebrews that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now we can read that and go, yeah, yeah, cool, the Hellenists, yeah, they're having a problem. Who are the Hellenists? The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Hebrews. They were Greek-speaking Jews. So as they come into the mix, they come with a different background. And so there's maybe a little rub, a little tension there, but what they're having to say is that we're, we're laying all that aside because what we have in common now is Jesus Christ. We're coming together in him, so it's all good. But as more are coming into the fold, it's the Hellenist widows that are being neglected. And we don't know if they're being neglected just because of people who have a dislike towards them and that's being worked out in their lives, or if it's because just because of the sheer number, they've been put to the back of the line. But we also know that in that day, it was to the church to take care of the widows. So the great challenge here is that growth in number could create factions or, or discord among the church. And so they're coming to the apostles, and the apostles are the ones who saw Jesus Christ. They heard Jesus Christ speak. They received direct command from Jesus Christ. That's why they are the apostles. So they come to the apostles and they say, hey, here's what's going on. We're to minister to these widows. We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus to these widows, and they're being neglected. So what do we do? Well, verse 2, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. <laughs> now, how about that? Is that what you expected maybe when you're reading this? Maybe if you're reading it for the first time, you're going to the apostles and saying, hey, we have some sweet widows, some women whose husbands are no longer around, and it is our responsibility to take care of them. So uh, we need to pay more attention to them. And, and here's what they say. Hey, one thing we're not doing, we're not going to stop the preaching of the gospel to serve tables. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that right now. It is important that we continue to preach the gospel. We would think that they would say, it's not right that these ladies are, are being neglected and, and nobody's paying attention to them. We're going to do something about it right away. Bring them to the front of the line. Maybe that's what we expect, but that's not what happens. So is this cold-hearted? I mean, what are we seeing here? What is taking place? Was this job beneath the, the apostles? That they couldn't roll up their sleeves? That they couldn't go and serve these widows themselves? Is that what's happening? Or is it that they have grown to such a holy status that they couldn't go back to serving tables? No, man, we're, we're preachers of the gospel. That is, that is not our job anymore. Is that what we're seeing with these men? Because that's what it kind of sounds like at first read. I mean, what about the, the, the slogan, people don't care how much you know until you, they know how much you care? Or uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Okay, we, we like those slogans. What about that? I mean, where is that going on in here? Come on, I mean, you're going to go preach the gospel, but... We have people in the church who are being neglected. You need to stop what you're doing and let's pay attention to these ladies. Maybe that's what we expect. 
And if we're being honest, we're being truthful, which we strive to be, I believe there are many local churches at this day and time who would stop the preaching of the gospel to make sure they cater to every single need within the church. But there's danger in that. And let me just be clear what's not happening. They're not saying that these widows aren't important because we're going to see what comes next. But they're showing what is most valuable. The need was real, and it It was a need to be met to minister to these widows, but the preaching of the word was first. It is first. When people look for a local church and they go, you know what, I want to find that right church with the right music. I want to find that right church with the right kids program. I want to find that right church for, you know, just people that we connect with. I mean, all those things are important, but what about I want to find that church that preaches the word of God? That holds to the word, that will not apologize and that live, we live in the midst of a culture where this telling us we should apologize for what God's Word is saying. So you're not going to apologize. You're going to preach it for what it is. You're not even in the position to apologize for it, Brian. That's what we want. We want to hear the Word of God. They're saying, hey, we've got to continue with the preaching of the gospel. Why is it so important? Why is it so important that we open up the Bible and we communicate what the Bible says? Why, why is that so important? I mean, why can't we put that aside to take care of widows who are in need? They're both needs, but the greatest need, the greatest need is for the word of God to go forth. Romans chapter 10, 14 and 15. Here are a few questions for us. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How do you believe in God, or how do you call on God if you do not believe in him? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? So here's the greater question. How are they to believe if if they've never heard of Jesus Christ? How's that going to happen? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So someone's got to go preach the message. Verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Which means we need to be sent out to go preach the message. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So last week somebody asked a question um, when I was talking about Mr. Charlie uh, ministering to his neighbors and inviting them to church. And the question they asked is to say, well, I mean, what if he didn't invite them? I mean, wasn't God just going to take care of it anyway? I mean, why, basically, why highlight that? Well, let me tell you why we highlighted that last week. Because it's dangerous thinking when you have an opportunity to share the gospel and you step back and say, somebody else to take care of it. I mean, God's sovereign, so I mean, God's going to save whom he's going to save. I mean, amen to that. But how does God work his sovereign will? Through the preaching of the word. This is a time in which you and I live. This is the time in which they live. That if people are going to be saved, if people are going to follow Jesus Christ, their greatest need is the gospel. It's going to happen by myself and you carrying forth the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know whom the last person, uh, maybe, maybe this happened to you, that you looked up into the clouds and all of a sudden God just fouled out something for you. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was in your Cheerios this morning. I don't think so. I think it's in the Word of God. And that's what we see, the importance of preaching the Word. And so with this, they're not going to know unless they hear the word of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, Can I just get a witness? I mean, it is really hard to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? Okay, maybe you're not being honest. All right. It is difficult. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What are we seeing here? How are we transformed by the renewing of our mind? It's not, the gospel is not just for salvation. I mean, yes, it is for salvation, but the work of salvation is ongoing, meaning that there's a transforming of our mind that's happening daily. You're growing more and more in the likeness of Christ Jesus. 
So you need the preaching of the Word for the transformation to take place. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Let's just look at verse 9 or, or verse 11. I've stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You need the Bible. You need the Word so that you will not sin against God. You say, well, I'll just try harder. And I'll just have a good attitude. I'll just build up some good self-esteem. And man, I'll have at it. Man, God will be pleased. You need the Word of God stored in your heart so that you will not sin against God. So the word must go forth. And then in Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, this is Paul, who was once Saul, later became Paul. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. to Preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plain or the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what does the gospel do? What does the teaching of the word do? It brings light so that you can see the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. There is mystery in the gospel that we must learn. And we learn it all along the way. That's why we must be faithful to continue to preach the gospel. This is only a few. These are only a few verses right here that we can bring together to say it is important that these apostles in this day and time continue to preach the word. So, if that's the case and it's up to the preaching of the word, and I hope for Perimeter Road Baptist Church that we don't grow apart from preaching the word of God. I would be very concerned if we neglected the preaching of the word of God and we started gaining more membership here. I'd be very concerned but that we preach the word of God and God adds to our number, glory be to his name. And that's what's happening here. The reason they're seeing this growth, the reason so many people are joining them is because they're preaching the word. And so with this, there needs to be a call. We see there's a need, so there needs to be a call. Number th- uh, Verse three of Acts chapter six. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of, and of wisdom whom will we appoint to this duty? And so there is a need for godly leaders. And this is wisdom to begin with, as, as they point out, hey, here's what we need. We need you, church, to pick out from among yourselves seven men who have a good reputation. This repute or reputation is martyreo, where we get our word martyr from, who has a good testimony, who bears a good word. These are the men that we need. And so you need to look among yourselves. So for a deacon, and us to understand who a deacon is, he's one of us. He's one of us. He's not something supernatural. He's not something more holy or to put on a pedestal. No, he's, he's a follower of Jesus Christ that's being faithful and following Christ. It's the qualifications. You can look in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You see a whole rundown on the qualifications of deacon. And you're saying, hey, you're talking about deacon, but we don't even see the word deacon here. But when they're talking about distribution and they're talking about serving, that is the word that comes from diakonos, where we get our word deacon from. So I truly believe that what we see here in Acts chapter 6 is the beginning of deacon ministry. That's why we've turned here today. That's why we're looking at it, so we can have a good understanding of what a deacon is to be. And so the call here is that these men would be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Two qualifications there. Notice, he doesn't say, hey, what's their status in the community? Are they good businessmen? Are they good leaders in the community? What, what's going on? No. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. That's the qualifications here that they lay out. And why are they called upon? Because the church needs help. Because the preaching of the Word cannot stop 
D.L. Moody used to say that it is better to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. So these men are setting a good model for the church to come that it's not for superstar pastors to do everything. It's not for pastors to feed their ego so that when there's a need, everybody looks to him and goes, you solve this, you take care of this. No, there are more called upon to help serve as well. And these, I believe, are when we see deacons. So then in verse 4, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles are saying, we're going to continue steadfastly in praying and preaching. And then in verse 5 and 6, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The fact that their names are mentioned is important. But these are men of humility and of great faith and they're called. And so when they're called, they don't put a deacon badge on them and say, hey, I am a deacon. Everybody acknowledge how great I am. No, we're going to see that their life is set aside to communicate how great God is. So with the call, then comes the result. Because we want to see results, right? We want to see that this works. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and the great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I mean, if you want to highlight a verse in the Bible and go, wow, look at the power of the gospel going forth, this is it. How do we know that this is working? Because many are being saved by Christ. The number is increasing by the preaching of the word. So if you're of the understanding that maybe we need to water it down a little bit around here and not preach such a hard gospel so that more people will come in, I just want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 6, verse 7, and say, highlight that, memorize that, hide it in your heart so the next time that you have that thought, you can just rebuttal that with this truth. Here it is, the preaching of the word, people growing. And I don't want you to become discouraged thinking that we live in a culture that when we preach the gospel that nobody's going to follow Keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel. But we also serve. So we have these men who have come along to serve. And in, in verse 8, we see just a highlight of Stephen, who is full of grace and power, who did great wonders and signs among the people. I mean, he's just a servant, but he's doing great things. Doing great things. And then there's an opposition, because that's what's going to happen when you do great things for God. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be struggle. And you have the freedmen and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and the Cilicias. I guess that's how you say their name in Asia. And they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. They said, hey, is, is it right what you're doing? So what was the dispute? What were they saying? Verse 10. Well, here's one thing. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So that they can't come against. Notice that, that he has wisdom and he's filled with the spirit. And they notice this. Go back to verse 3. What was one of the, the qualifications that we saw? That they'd be full of the spirit and wisdom. What is he doing? He's acting as he's been called. He's being faithful. He's being a faithful witness. And so, what do you do when you look at a man who's full of wisdom and the Spirit? You lie. 
And all of a sudden, here they come with their lies. Verses 11 through 14, they secretly instigated, stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, seized him and brought him before the council, set up false witnesses. And they accused him of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. His crime was that he was teaching the same message that Jesus taught. That was his crime. So they're angry at him. And you're thinking, hold on, man, he became a deacon. He's a servant. Why is he getting himself in this situation? Because when you are faithful to Christ, there will be opposition. But then look in verse 15. Gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, I don't know what just flashed in your mind. If you're thinking a nice little cute baby chubby face of an angel, no, that's not what they saw. They saw the face of one who was bold, who was daring, who had conviction, who was unwavering. That's what they saw in Stephen. A man who was called to serve tables. It wasn't beneath him. It was the job that he was assigned, and he did it well. But not only that, but look how he is grounded in the gospel. And so then, after they tell him that he's speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God, he's going, oh, really? So he sets up shop, and he gathers them all around, and he says, okay, let me give you a little Old Testament 101 here. And you can read that on your own free time. That's in Acts 7, 1 through 50. You just read that account. And we see who knew more about Moses. Stephen lays it out. And, you know, after that, we're thinking, okay, yeah, it's all set straight. Everything's good. Way to go. Now they're going to turn to Jesus as well. No. They stop their ears. They grind their teeth. They grab some rocks, and they start casting stones. That's what happened to the deacons in the first century. Stoned for loving Jesus, for showing the power of Christ. It wasn't about their name. It was about the name of Jesus Christ. That's what deacons were set aside to do and to minister. Nothing was beneath them, too lowly of a task. Here's this man who has to give an account. And when he does, the heavens are opened, which I think is a great visual for us because we are visual people. We need a visual. What we need to see is that when you set your mind on heaven, there is Christ. That's what he does. And when he sets his mind on Christ, guess what? Christ isn't seated. He's standing. What does that mean? I mean, is that just a little detail that we can just skip over? No, I think that is showing that Christ is standing and giving his approval and saying, job well done, Stephen. Going to see you in just a few minutes, but man, hang in there. You're doing great. Doing great. And man, he's giving glory to the Lord. He doesn't back up when the stones start flying. He doesn't stop and say, no, 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 that which I just said, can we just repeat? Can we, can we stop that right now? I repent of that. No, I don't really follow Jesus. No, he, he moves forward with death. So now that you know that, how many of you want to be deacons today? Yeah. I think it's appropriate that we get a real view of the call of deacon because I think our, our views have been skewed by past experience and the past experience of men, not Christ. And so with that being said, I do want to acknowledge our deacons who serve right now. And I want to give this little backdrop that our deacons are not elders in this church. Um, No, they're servants. I don't think our deacons walk around here with their, their chest puffed out because they bear the name deacon. I think they're humble men. I'm grateful for what they do. We have many ministries that take place here at Perimeter Road that 
look, just if you're looking at me, I am, um, I am nothing without Christ. And, and I'm not trying to just play the humble card here. I'm serious. I cannot lead every ministry in this church, and even our staff of seven cannot lead this local church all by ourselves and do every ministry, and you come to us for every need. No, we are set up with a good structure. We have men who are called to be servants and to lead some of these ministries that just laying it out here before you, if they weren't put in charge of it, it would not get done. Not to the level of excellence and honoring Christ that we want to do. And so I'm grateful for these men. You men who serve as deacon, maybe you've served as deacon in the past or you're currently serving as deacon, I love you. I'm grateful for you. We could not do what we're doing here in this church if, if God did not show his grace towards you and redeem your life from the pit and pull you out of that pit and set you on a rock that you have a new song to sing and that now with that testimony, you are serving. And you're doing a great job. And I just want to let you know, church, that I meet with these men once a month and we get an update on the different ministries. And the idea behind this is they lead 13 different ministries that you would see on a card maybe right there in front of you that says penetrate the culture. The expectation that we have when you join the church here at Perimeter Road is that you are going to serve. We've had people come before who have said, you know what, I want to be a part of the church, but I'm not ready to serve. So what do we do with that? We say, well, you're not ready to join Perimeter Road. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate what's going on, but if if that's your attitude as you're coming forth, then that's going to continue to be your attitude, I'm afraid. And it shouldn't be that when you join a local church that you do less. You should do more. You should do more. So I'm just going to let you know this. If you're visiting here, we're so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. But there are plenty of places I'm sure that you can go where you can sit and listen to a message every week and do nothing else, nothing else. But the problem with that is if you call yourself a Christ follower, I think you're being disobedient. You're called to serve. We are all called to serve. And then there are some of you who will be called upon to serve in the role of deacon, to help organize, to help with the structure. There should be organization and good structure within the local church. I don't think the local church is a business. I don't like when it's called a business. You can debate that with me later. We can go at it, bring it on, okay? But we are the body of Christ. We are so much more valuable than a business. We've been purchased by Christ. But we should have good organization among us. And we trust in the Holy Spirit to lead us and to give us wisdom in this. And so I... I want to have these men. If you're in the room, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to go through these names, and I'm going to have you stand up where you are. There may be a couple who aren't in this room that may be serving around the building um, because they're, they're deacons. All right, so, um, but I'm going to have you stand up, and I'm just going to tell them what you do. Um, our chairman of the deacons this year is Tim Reeves. Tim Reeves, will you stand up in the room? There's Tim right there in the middle. And Tim serves over um, our deacons. He keeps them straight, makes sure they behave basically right. Um, But he helps to organize the meetings that we have once a month. And then also he is over our prayer ministry. And you say, prayer ministry? Come on, Brian, don't you pray? Yes, we we all pray. But we need someone to oversee, making sure that we have people faithfully praying um, during the service and before the service and throughout the weekend, sending out needs to those who are a part of the prayer team, that they can be made aware of these because we truly believe in the power of prayer. I love you, brother. Thank you for your service, and I just want to acknowledge you at this time. You, you may have a seat, and, and thank you for what you do. I tell you, um, it's a great encouragement to sit there with Tim and to share what's going on in our lives. 
and then to see him lead among our other men. And I'm grateful for how he serves. Uh, Frank Cook, Frank, you in the room. Frank's the one who keeps the count. Frank's normally up in the balcony, and he keeps the count of how many are in here, and he also keeps the count of how many people are on Facebook during the service. What up? All right. Uh, but no, Frank is, <laughs> he does do that, really. Um, but we talk about you. Um, he's over baptism and communion. So when someone is baptized, once they're finished, um, they walk back, and he, um, he gives them a book of now that you're a Christian, and he helps to follow up and trying to get them connected and, and following Christ uh, with somebody who will be uh, able to disciple them. And he helps to make sure communion is all set up. I mean, have you ever thought the last time you came to receive communion, you go, who sets all this up? I mean, what if somebody didn't arrive early and set out all these things so that we could remember what Christ has done for us? I'm grateful for his servanthood, his humility. He is a man that truly loves Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful for Frank Cook and, and how he serves. So if you're on baptism or communion, uh, you know um, Frank and uh, what a great job he does. And then uh, because of the day and age which we live in and, and knowing this very well, we have people who make sure the building is secure and we have uh, security walking around the premises. Um, you don't want to mess with them because they know all types of karate. All right, I'm just telling you. But Joe Crow is our deacon over that. Joe, if you would stand. Um, and Joe, I'm, I'm grateful for you and not only... Uh, for what you do here, but what you do in our community. And uh, Joe is a great example of, of a deacon, of a man who walks with humility, who uh, understands the Word of God, who serves. Um, I say all the time, Joe sees a dark side about Austin that many people do not see with his line of work. Um, and yet to see that he loves Jesus and he's committed to the gospel. I'm grateful for you, how you lead your family. Um, but he leads the security team, and he has great workers underneath him, and it's a good organization. And here's what you need to know, that they're around the premises, and we want to make sure our children are safe. And our children are safe down there with these men walking the building. And I'm thankful for what you do. Thank you, Joe, so much for your service. I really appreciate you. And we have many of you who serve on the security team, and I appreciate you and the time that you dedicate towards that. Um, Johnny Crowdis, Jonathan Crowdis, stand up, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan is over our food bank and missions and uh, I'm so grateful for Jonathan and uh, his leadership. Um, he displays great leadership. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and you see it by the way he loves other people. Um, but our food bank is continuing to grow. I mean, we are having huge amounts of people show up every month. And here's what I love. One time we got this update that, hey, be careful, because you have, may have some people who are coming to your food bank who went to another food bank earlier that day or who went to a food bank the, the week before, and we're like, and your point is, let them come on. Let us minister to them. Let's give them the needs, okay? And we'll let the Lord sort the rest out. But I'm so grateful for Jonathan, what Jonathan, uh, God's laid on Jonathan's heart to minister to the State. Just this past week, I uh, met with international students, uh, being international from all over the world, right? And so they come in and offers an opportunity to give them rides to church and to minister to them. And I'm so grateful for all of you who pitched in and gave money and provided for uh, pillows and sheets to go to these students as they arrived here who may not have that as they arrive at Ballast Estate. And so, Jonathan, thank you uh, so much for how you serve uh, with the food bank and with missions. And I love you, brother. And uh, Josh Davis, Josh Davis, you in the room. Um, uh, I tell you what, Josh is, is somewhere. I saw him around the building. You're pointing upward. There he is, you in the balcony. Calm. All right, there he is. So, Josh, absolutely. Uh, I tell you, one of the things I admire most about Josh is his conviction in the Word and his understanding of the Word um, and how he lives out the Word, his humility with how much he knows about the Bible. 
I tell you, is a work of God in his heart. Um, he's over men's and women's ministry, and one of the true convictions there is that we get our men and women together with discipleship. And so if you don't have somebody that you meet with one-on-one, then you go see Josh. Um, we are committed to building this up and seeing uh, every man in this local church that has another man that they can go to and pray with and, and read the Bible with and have accountability. And the same thing for our ladies. And so, Josh, thank you so much for your servanthood. Thank you for your integrity. And uh, I love you, brother. I really appreciate you. And your beard looks fantastic up there. Okay, I'm telling you, it's really growing. So, um, Johnny Isom. Johnny Isom normally sits to my left. There he is. And Mr. Johnny is over our hospital visitation and our widows. And these are two very important ministries for us. And I'm grateful um, for his organization. When we sit down, he brings a list of those who are in the hospital who need to be contacted or who have been contacted. Um, and then also ministering to our widows. And so if you're on one of those two teams, Mr. Johnny Isom oversees that. And I'm grateful for your faithfulness. Uh, You are faithful at what you do um, and thankful, too. One thing, you are always good about checking on me and encouraging me, and I really appreciate that. But, you know, there are a lot of people with with medical needs, and we kind of live in a day where uh, many people don't want to be messed with when they go to the hospital. I get that. Uh, We're kind of like that a little bit. Um, but Mr. Johnny says, I don't care. We're going to minister to you anyway. Um, but he finds a way to minister to these people. And I thank you so much for what you do and for our widows that you look after, our precious widows here at this church, our ladies um, who are in great need of fellowship and of love and care. And uh, you do an excellent job. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. And then uh, Joseph Jagonathan, for short, he goes with Jag. And so that's what you know him as. And uh, Jag, we appreciate all you do. He stands up here amidst these students because he is very faithful in serving in the student ministry, which is kind of one rule with, with being a servant to, to them. Um, but also he is with helping hands because he's very uh, good with uh, tools and he is good with building things, which I'm not. And so you are. And so you're put in a really good position to bring other people along so that when we have needs all around us um, in this community and with our local church, Jag is called upon so that we can help meet these needs. And it may be that a lawn needs to be cut or there needs to be a repair at a house. Um, now, we're going to do a little checking on you. Now, don't, don't be taking advantage of us if you have all those home improvement things you want to get the easy way out, all right? But, um, but no, there are true needs. And I'm grateful for you, Jag. And um, I'm so excited for the way you lead your life and, and you lead your wife and, um, you know, how you serve these students. But you do a great job, and, and I appreciate you. So if you're with Helping Hands, you'll be with Jag. And, and Jag, you may have a seat at this time. Thank you. And then Tag Welch. Uh, most of you know Tag because his job is to get to know you. So um, he is a greeter, and he is a section host. So if you're in that section, he probably said hey to you today. Um, but he's in charge of making sure that we have greeters at all of our entrances and exits, whichever way you're going. And also to uh, make sure we have people in different sections around here to greet you and to welcome you to Perimeter Road. We feel that's very important, uh, that when you come and you're new, uh, that you're ministered to right away. And so uh, Tag has served in many different roles, and uh, he has been here for a long time from the beginning of pretty much Perimeter Road, and it's 30 years. And so thank you for what you do, Tag. I appreciate you. And if you serve on one of these two teams, you'll be serving with Tag. And um, if you are a wife of one of these men that I just mentioned, will you please stand up because we're going to give a round of applause to you. So purely, seriously, you stand up. You ladies of these men that I just mentioned, will you stand up at this time? Okay. We appreciate you. We thank you, ladies, because of this, your sacrifice as well and your unselfishness, and you do play a role in this as well. In, in their areas of ministry. You support them 
and we thank you for, for what you do. Um, I, I just wanted these men to stand up. I wanted you to see them uh, so you'll know and recognize these men. If you're a member here at Perimeter Road and you've been a part of a team, but maybe um, you've kind of waned off a little bit and you haven't been as faithful, hop back on board. This is an opportunity for you this morning that you can write on that connection card and say, this is the ministry that I want to be a part of. This is a servanthood team. Now, a common question that we get asked um, are saying, don't you have more ministries than just this? What about children's ministry and student ministry and college ministry? Look, they'll come find you, all right? Um, they, they need your help. They will come find you. But these are 13 areas, like we said, that we feel like would not be done well if we did not have these men helping to serve over these. And, and so we want you to be a part of that. And so if you're new on board or if you have been here for a while or you're interested in trying a different team, um, now is the time. This is the season, okay, for you to put that down, turn it in today so that it goes to our connection coordinator, Lee Andrews, and he can get you connected to that servanthood team. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is two years that we've modeled our deacon ministry this way, and we're continuing to see growth. And one I'm most excited in seeing is the growth of our missions and our outreach. It started last year um, under the leadership of Tim Ortmeyer and ministering to our community, and it's been passed on to Jonathan Crowdis. And I'm not just trying to highlight one over all the else everything else, which is exactly what I'm doing, but I'm saying that we're called to be missionaries and, and to reach out and to see this area growing uh, so quickly has, has been a blessing. But then to know that there are many things that happen around here that just happen so faithfully and you don't even notice it, that's a great work as well. And so for those who serve security and communion and baptism, all the things that must happen, I'm grateful for what happens here. And so in closing today, um, I know it's kind of been a different morning with me going to this, but it's most appropriate. Um, we really want you serving, church. We really want you serving. So I don't know maybe if there's something that's gotten in the way of that. Yeah, hopefully you've been around long enough to know that when I offer this, it's genuine. If you, if you need to talk, if you've got something going on in your life that's hindering you from serving, come talk with us. We love you. We are, we are the church. Our value is in Christ Jesus. No one is more important than the other. And if you have a real need, if you have something going on that you haven't made known that we can't help you with, look, come talk to us. Write it down if you need to so we'll get in touch with you. But I'm so excited as we are headed here into the fall, and it's going to get cool sometime around here, all right? I mean, it's Wintersville Classic this week, which just feels so weird. But um, there's a lot of things coming up. But church... Through any season that we face, we must be faithful in, number one, preaching the gospel and living it out. That's a call for all of us to go forth and do, and that we would be servants. And if maybe you haven't signed up to serve because you feel like that's just not your job to do, I hope that today God's done a work in your heart to see differently. And lastly, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're hearing all of this, I hope what you're seeing and what you're hearing is a great work of humility. Um, we are a people who boast of Christ. We sang of it earlier. All I have is Christ. We boast of his grace. This isn't what we have done, but what Christ is doing in us. And so if you do not have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, it comes by first dying to yourself, admitting that you are a sinner and you fall awfully short of God, and that the only way that you can be brought to the Father is through Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in him today. I'm going to be standing in the back in just a moment. We'll have some pastors standing up here at front. If you want to take that opportunity to come talk with us about following Christ, 
we make ourselves available. We trust that if this is heavy upon your heart, you'll do that. But if you want to write there on that connection card to say, I want to know more about following Christ, check it off there. Put it in the offering plate as it comes by in just a moment, and we'll follow up with you. But I hope you've enjoyed today. I hope that you've gotten a better look at what it is to be a deacon. Maybe this has just been a good reminder for you. Whatever it has been, to God be the glory. And may we continue to move forward, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, we thank you for the role of deacon. And Lord, I thank you for the men who currently serve as deacons in our church, what they do, and the sacrifice, the time that they put in. Lord, I pray this has been an encouragement for them today as they have been just recognized before the church, their faces seen once again, but that's not really why they're called, and they've acknowledged that, Lord. They have been faithful to serve, and I'm, I'm grateful for these men. I'm grateful for their families, for their wives, and their, their service as well. Thank you for Perimeter Road Baptist Church and that we can boast in Jesus Christ. What a gift that we have been given. Thank you for bringing us here today to worship. God, you brought us here. We didn't invite you here. You invited us here, and we thank you for that. And, Lord, now as we continue to sing and just rejoice in your greatness, uh, Father, if you're working in hearts, and as you work in hearts, Lord, you lead them to respond as they must. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.